Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Brandy Heather. Brandy is a world-class educator and speaker. She's an author and podcast host, and she utilizes the power of play to help organizations navigate diversity, inclusion, communication, self-care, and mental health using play as a catalyst for change. Have you ever thought about or recognized whether you use play at all in your practice? And when you do, have you ever felt a greater sense of ease, joy, creativity, and less fear or worry? maybe even less stress overall. Brandy and I chat about what play really is, how to tap into it and recognize it, and how to expand on it. This was an exciting conversation, and I think you'll feel fully engaged by listening in. So grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, Brandy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm happy you're here. I'm so excited for like a new light and some, you know, positive energy on this podcast. Uh, You know, I talk about burnout a lot. I talk about stress and healthcare and things like that. And it can it can be heavy, but it's the reality. Um, So it's so like, it's so great having you because I think you can shed another perspective in in a more radiant light. <laughs> well, I'm hoping to shine, yeah, a little bit of light on that process and how we can be a part of the solution together. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of the direction of this podcast is to focus on those solutions. And and they're not for everybody, but you know, what works for one person could work for another. And if it helps just one person, that's that's one provider who can be pr- potentially preventing burnout or anything down the road, which is amazing. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about play today. 
We are. We are. We're going to talk all things. Let's play. play. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to get in play today. Let's do it. Tell me about you. Tell me about your story and how this came to be your, your work and your passion. Well, my story is an interesting one. I mean, I, I grew up in play. Uh, I grew up the daughter of an artist. So I, I had a playground full of play as a kid. And I always wanted to be a teacher. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And so I went into education and and that's where I started. And then I did my master's degree and started teaching at the college level. And I always found that there was something different in my classroom. And it was this extraordinary power of play. So I taught in kinesiology and sports studies. And my background is in adapted physical education. So my background uh, is in teaching Mm -hmm. for providers and educators um, how to be inclusive in their practice. And I've always taught that from a place of play. So I've always taught it from a place where if you can find your creativity and your kind of innovative self, that you can be the best healthcare provider and coach and parent and educator So that's actually part of where the play came from was actually in this adaptive inclusive space because I was always trying to find solutions Mm -hmm. to complex problems as a provider. So I was also providing care in the community Mm -hmm. and I was always trying to find solutions and the best solutions always came in play. So interesting. So Brandy, so the people that you worked with, they were older. They were adults. Okay. Okay. Cause I mean, I know, I know you said you thought about going into teaching, but then when you said you taught at the master's level, like, you know, at the university yeah. level, college level, um, I'm thinking, okay, so play among adults. I guess when I think of play, I, I assumed your story would start from like teaching students and young students and young children, but no, that's not really where it evolved from other than yourself being young at, at play yeah. with your, your parents. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So my, my play actually started with adults, Wow. adults, how to be creative and innovative and play. So one of the courses I developed was one in which we used art and paint and Play-Doh and plaster to teach human service providers how to communicate better with their clients. So yeah, the play started with adults and, and I did a lot of work with children to include them in play and movement. That was my background, was in physical education. Okay. So I did lots of work with kids too, but probably the most influential pieces were when I was teaching adults to get back into their playful heads so they could be great providers of healthcare. So, so tell me more about that. So, uh, cause I'm a healthcare provider. Uh, I love to play though. I have like things that I enjoy doing, but, but, you know, healthcare is a serious profession, like anything else in, in any type of service profession, we can be a little skeptical, we can have like, kind of odd senses of humor. Sometimes <laughs> we don't get we don't buy in too easily. Um, I find so when you when you come and you introduce play to a bunch of healthcare providers who are on the brink of burning out, who are highly stressed, how is it received? You know, what's so funny is that when we're on that brink of burning out and stress, it's actually the place where it's hardest to come back and find our play. Right. And so um, people, I think people have this really siloed effect of play. They believe that we can, 
we can work and then we just shut off work and then we play and then we shut off play and then we work. Mm -hmm. But actually what I'm showing people is that we can actually be in play in our work. And that actually decreases the amount of burnout and stress in that we feel. And so I'll give you an example because, Mm -hmm. so I used to teach nursing students who I would spend lots and lots of time unwinding all their stress because they would come to my courses and be like, we need to know what, how we get, you know, the hundred percent average. We need to be the best of the best of the best of the best. And so unwinding them from that perfectionistic, like there's only one answer was difficult, but once they found it, they actually realized that their jobs in nursing care were some of the most complex problem solving and creative processes going that they had to bring their creative game all the time. Mm -hmm. And so if they could bring a part of themselves, their kind of creative play part to their jobs, that the intensity of that feeling of burnout and overwhelm was actually reduced a little bit by the fact that they would bring something that was really naturally them Mm -hmm. into their work. So I think people often think play is like, um, you know, I'm going to come in and put in a ping pong table and then it's going to be totally different uh, for everybody else. But the thing about play is that you need to find what people's real core play is. So yours is different than mine and mine is different from everybody else's. But if we really understood who people were, and, and came back to like, oh, what's the stuff that makes me feel creative and competent and confident? What is that thing and how can I bring it to work every day? It actually would reduce the amount of stress and burnout we feel, you know, with our overwhelming sense of responsibility to our work. Okay, so two questions because you're going in the direction that I was about to take you in, actually. <laughs> so my first one is... Um, how do you define play? Because you're right. That's what I think the average person would think is, you know, a coloring book or like a ping pong table, a sport, something, right, that we would traditionally call play. And then added to that is what do you say to the person? And I know I've said this myself. Um, I don't believe it anymore, but I used to about myself was that I'm not creative. And I used to say that because I couldn't draw and I still can't, (laughs) you know, in art class, I used to literally like bow out of art class. Like I would literally like put my head on the table and cry during art class because I did not like it so much. It wasn't play for me, whereas other kids relished in art and and thrived in it. For me, you know, the traditional art classes in elementary school were like terrified me. So, (laughs) and I don't know why, but they did. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear more about that. So the in the first question, what, you know, how do we define play? It's, it's a fascinating question. Cause I can give you all the angles from like research and five-year-olds. Um, cause they actually define all those things quite differently, but okay. there's a couple of fundamental pieces. It's something that you do that is freely chosen. So nobody can make anyone else be in play. Um, you get to define when it starts and when it stops. It is something that is timeless. So when you're doing it, you lose, you will lose track of time. It is so, it gives you so much joy, relief, and you feel so, you know, encompassed by it that you feel your most capable and confident self. Okay. 
And so the other piece is that play is defined by the person. So for me to put an academic, like these are the three points in which play occurs, won't happen. But if I ask you this question, when was the last time or the last time you can remember in which you were doing something that you were like, you were so engrossed by that you didn't even pick up your phone. You didn't know what time it was. You were just enraptured by that moment because then you're going to tell me mm-hmm. what play is for you. Right. And that's where the definition lies. So we define our play. Absolutely. Play doesn't define us necessarily because it's, it's different for everyone. So interesting. So can you give me an example? Um, I know you, you kind of talked through it a little bit about the nursing students, but can you give me an example of what someone would tell you they, their play was on the front lines during their work? Do you have any Absolutely. insights on that? So my company is called amp to play and now we go out and get organizations and business and educators and healthcare providers back in play so that we're helping them to create a space in which they can they can be their best selves. And so an example I would give you from from practice would be working with um, recreational therapists mm-hmm. who would say, you know, that the intensity of their work um, in working with a multitude of clients and all of those things. I have one of my clients who says to me, I had no idea I don't play at work. Like I literally, I go from outcome to outcome. I go from measurable outcome to measurable outcome. Mm -hmm. And I would say, what moment in that day, what moment in your day do you let go? Like, is there any moment in which you let go? And she would say, absolutely not. I don't let go. I'm, I'm always constantly under stress. And then she said, except when, except when we bring out Play-Doh. And I was like, what do you mean when you bring out Play-Doh? She's like, well, we use it for hand therapy and we brought it out. And the other day she said, I opened up a brand new can of Play-Doh and she, she said, and all of a sudden I'm three years old again. And I had this overwhelming sense of like, it's going to be okay. And she's like, what is that? And I said, well, that's play, right? That's the moment when your brain actually and your body are connected and they go, oh yeah, I remember that. Or, oh yeah, that makes me feel so good. And she's like, well, but I can't do that all day. Like I can't open up cans of, of Play-Doh and crayons all day. Like that, that can't be my job. Yeah. And I was like, okay, but, but what you found there was something that reminds you that you still have all these skills that you're not even bringing to your job. And she's like, yeah, I love the way the Play-Doh feels and stuff. So then she started to incorporate that in her practice. So all of a sudden, you know, hand therapy changed into something else. And now she was doing more sensory play. And she was, she was like, actually outside of work, I love the water and I love all these things. I was like, wow, are you doing that in your job? No, I can't. Yeah, you can. So then we start to brainstorm how that stuff that actually ignites us. Oftentimes we have to go outside work, Mm -hmm. pull it back in. But those things, those transferable skills and transferring that into our work can be, have a huge effect on our stress. 
Yes, totally. And so were you like, was this like a one to one mentoring that you were doing? Or was this brought up in a in an, an organization, organizational training or um, event? So, so this was actually an organizational event. So okay. um, these rec therapists were coming um, to take a look at play training to be more inclusive in their practice. And they were sharing with us some of the challenges of, of recreational therapy. And so talking through some of their challenges and then finding their, their play pieces. Um, and so many of them were telling us, you know, I feel overwhelmed by the, not only the workload, but, but, you know, the management of all the things that I have to do in a day mm-hmm. and having them come back as a group, having them come back to the things that really gave them joy and how to transfer that into their work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it can be simple things. Like I, th- I believe people see it as a really complex process, but it really, it needs to be one simple thing at a time. So if outside work, you love reading, you curl up with a book on a couch and you're like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. this is my play. Mm-hmm. Then how can we transfer that even for five minutes a day into your job, into that, that workspace? Mm-hmm. And so it's really that it's a discovery process. And then it's a process of, you know, finding, finding those capable moments to, to include it in our day. Interesting. Um, I'm just thinking of myself right now. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) I'm I'm just internalizing all this. So for me, writing is my play. Uh, So writing would be my play. So I know that I'm super passionate about like I don't like documenting, I don't like the task of documenting, but I love like documenting in story form. I love just kind of narrating, I guess you can say, and I guess this is a branch of narrative medicine in a way um, where you're including art and, and play into that. Um, but I do love like the narration of things. It does take time and stuff, but when I'm in it, I enjoy it. Um, it's not until you you actually look at the clock that you realize, oh, you know, you have stayed over over time and whatnot. But that's part of something I love. And then in terms of carrying that over to my patients, for example, in interactions is listening to their stories and then developing a narration based on what they're telling me and following their story and journey. So that that is play for me because it um, it's something I could do if I wasn't if I didn't have to monitor the time, right? It's something I can just find myself enjoying. Yeah. And I think, I think being mindful of that, of those moments, most of, um, most of the time, just helping people to be really mindful of the things that do give them joy at their, in their work. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, healthcare is, is, you know, one of those kind of overwhelmingly can be overwhelmingly stressful. And, and so helping that process between our, our, our brain always being kind of ignited in, you know, that complex processing. Um, and how do we actually allow it to have more room to do that? And one of the things that, that we really focus on is the fact that fear is a real killer of our creative process. Oh yeah. And it's right. It's a real, and, and I don't think that it's so funny that you say that you don't think you're a creative person because I don't know a single healthcare person (laughs) professional who is not unbelievably creative, but you're right. You might not identify it as creativity. Yeah. But 
Um, so I, I think, I think if we can really take a look at, um, where our creative, creative potential really lies, it's in that moment that we're not scared that we're always going to do something wrong or incorrectly Mm -hmm. or be perceived with this like unbelievable expectation. Mm -hmm. And I know you talk about this a ton on your, in your work, but you know, I do really believe that perfectionism kills our play. And when we, when we take that, when we take that side of our kind of creative process out of our, our healthcare system, we take out the space for these unbelievable solutions that are out there. But if you think about, I often talk about backpacks, Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. So I talk about backpacks and I, I, I think healthcare providers carry these unbelievable backpacks full of like stones. <laughs> it's true. And I think they carry around these huge backpacks on, on top of doing all the work that they do, they're carrying around like 300 pounds of cement in their backpack. And, you know, that cement comes from this, these incredibly high expectations and this, you know, everything has to be done in this perfectionistic bubble. And Mm -hmm. I really, really believe that if we even just a little bit let healthcare providers come back to their creative, playful selves, that we would we would take some of that cement out of their backpacks. Mm-hmm. It would actually feel physically and mentally lighter and then walk differently in their positions. Like they they connect better. We connect better. We're more empathetic. We're more engaged in our own self-care. Yes. And we're actually mindful of those things that give us that that joy. Yeah, I totally agree about fear and even perfectionism going together. You know, the thing is in healthcare, and I just did this, I don't know if you listened to my most recent podcast um, that you'd mentioned, but I was just chatting about this, how we feel when our patients aren't improving and how we tend to internalize. I know I have and do. um, I internalize and attach myself to their outcomes, which is a bit perfectionistic um, in ways, right? So the thing in healthcare is it's a fine line, Brandy, between do no harm and help patients achieve their goals, right? So it, for me, I, ch- I tend to focus on, um, and this is why I love rehab, and that's where I work as an, on an inpatient rehab unit, because it allows me to be creative and not so in the box um, in terms of focusing more on the goals and less on the fear, if that makes sense. So if I put my, my energy more towards the goals and my patients, um, my patients' desired outcomes and goals, then I feel like the collaborative process, the creative process kind of, I trust in that and I, it does eventually come uh, for the most part. Uh, but you know there are there are other providers who are more on the other side, focusing on fear and worry and maybe perfectionism in a way too, subconsciously not even aware of it. Um, but it does hold us back absolutely because I've been there. Yeah, and I, I I think too people often say, well, you can't. They get I get this example often. You can't play in a serious business like you. You can't play in the seriousnesses of an emergency room. You can't play there. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is that actually you're seeing play as this start and go process, right? This, you know, after we're done the seriousness of what we do, we then then maybe we can take five minutes and play. But what I'm saying is is actually how can we open up that creative potential of people so that in that moment when we are bombarded by 
stress and expectation and our our patients' needs and and all the things that are going on around us that we can be mindful that we actually have these creative ideas in our mind and we can access them because the one thing we know that is when we we have fear we can't access that creativity either exactly. and so i i think that separateness that like this is when we work and this is when we play and those are very separate things and they don't play here mm-hmm. um if we can change that mindset a little bit to say actually, do you know when I'm going to have the most answers? Do you know when I'm going to have the best solutions and the things we, with tools we haven't even thought of, you know, we're going to send people to space with the things out of the closet. Like that's, that's when, but that often comes from the outside pressures. So if every time people went to be creative or find their own solution, they're shut down in that, which happens often then we will tuck that creative playful self away because it doesn't it doesn't bring results mm-hmm. so i was going to ask you that then how do you facilitate actually at an organizational level you know i don't know if you've received that kind of reaction at that level as well about play when you when you introduce it uh, <laughs> that resistance a little bit and skepticism so how do you get the buy in at that level and um you know how would you facilitate that type of organizational training and event that you would do it's a process and and the process is this and and this is my process mm-hmm. um we start with a process I call brave me. So what is it about me that can be creative? I'll give you an example. So a room full of 25, 30 people, mm-hmm. and they're coming in and we're going to train on diversity and inclusion. That's, that's actually the training we're going to do on diversity and inclusion. So they come in with these very set expectations of what they believe is going to happen. Okay. Yeah. And I do something that would put people like you who didn't love art class, you'd be like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to leave. (laughs) So uh, in front of these 25 people, I might put a ball of clay and I would say to them, nothing. Actually, I would say nothing. And I would let them discuss amongst each other what they think the ball of clay is for and, and let them have some conversation about it. Because in that moment, they're talking about things that they may have never even talked about before. And then I asked the question, how many of you are artists? Mm. And people are like, oh my goodness. In a room of 30 people, if one person puts up their hand, then I have like this massive party. <laughs> because because we, we hold that title so tight, right? We're like, artist means A, B, and C, and D, and I'm not that. So we can get past that. Yeah. And so... All of a sudden, there's a shift in the room. Like people are like, oh, do you remember when you were a kid and they put the art stuff in class and we put our head down because we didn't <laughs> want to be there? All of a sudden, conversations that we would have never had, we're having. And I haven't even, we haven't even started talking about the incredible diverse talents of all the people in the room. So I help people to be in that first step. We start to talk about the things that we already label the, you know, the things that we already have titles and kind of perfectionistic square boxes for, for ourselves. So that's step one. 
what is it about me that's actually creative and diverse and has all this incredible potential? And then in that moment, from that moment, we actually take a look at what does it look like when I add someone else to that space? So what does your potential look like? Wow. When you're in play and we're kind of laughing over, you know, the snail that we're going to create with with this Mm. all of clay, we're having conversations about things we would have never talked about. And now all of a sudden I'm not just brave me, I'm brave us. So together I can see, wow, like Jennifer put it, you know, Jennifer did not want to do this. And she was like, oh my goodness, do you remember when you're a kid and this thing happened? And now we have an us moment. Now it's like, oh yeah, I get that. And then from brave us, we go to brave system. Mm-hmm. So how can we then, so brave me, brave us, brave system. So how can we brave connection? Because it's totally risky. The mm-hmm. things that we do in healthcare every day have huge risks mm-hmm. in them. Yep. And so you know, I think we often relate, you know, that that risk to the challenges within our work. But the risk for you to put your hands on that ball of clay and create something in a group and like listen to people's, you know, ideas and stories and and worry that your snail isn't going to look like everybody else's snail, all of those things. In that moment, we can talk about the even bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's where the systemic like braving connection comes where all of a sudden we're having brave conversations about things that we're not talking about at work, which mm-hmm. are not allowing us to have that space to play. Yeah. One of the things I've, I've always felt and I've said is that we need to have more non-clinical conversations at work. <laughs> right. And I mean, we have a great team. I'm so like grateful for the team that I work with on our floor. And I feel like we, we do have that, but you know, I, I still think it's, you know, we still crave it more and because we can get lost in it when we do have it, right? Like you enjoy oh. the company of, of a yes. teammate. That's a privilege. You know, healthcare can be a very toxic um, system and environment as well. So when you have a team that you, you, you enjoy working with, you kind of want to enjoy it, you know? Um, so definitely uh, appreciate that. So is this something then that you would do once or do you come back and kind of, <laughs> when we're talking at a systems level eventually, yeah. you know, to, yeah, to, to expand? So, yeah, we do, um, we do a process that looks over three days. Okay. Um, and so, but those three days can happen, you know, three times in a year, Mm -hmm. um, or it could happen in three solid days. Healthcare providers often don't have three solid days to do anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, often we break it up so that I actually come back a couple of times. Okay. And what I try to do is leave organizations with a new language to discuss themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a language in play and inclusion and taking a look at um, diversity and inclusion differently. And so I can come in for a day and we can, we can really do, so I, I do a process called engaging inclusion. So I can come in for a day and I can shake things up mm-hmm. and we can start to talk about our playful kind of inclusive, diverse selves. Mm-hmm. Um, but the better process is... 21 hours. So I spend three, yeah, three solid days and we dig in. 
So we dig into who the people in your team are. What are their diverse strengths? Where is your team going? Where are the gaps in which we can create uh, more capability, more connection, more communication? Mm-hmm. And so it's really a personalized process. It's called policy to people. Okay. And so really t- taking a look at that. Oftentimes yeah. we write all these incredible policies with these you know, documents. I go into an organization and their document of policies is, is <laughs> incredible. And the photographs and the colors and the, all those things. But it does not matter if the people in the process are not feeling any of those things. Right. Um, so I often, I often relate it to building a house. So if we're building a house and we're like, oh my goodness, I want the roof to look like beautiful and I'm picking out the roof tiles before I figured out what's under the foundation of the house, right? And what's really underneath it? Because oftentimes in healthcare and lots of other businesses, mm-hmm. we are often trying to figure out what color the roof is going to be before we've really figured out who the people are yeah. and, and who, who they are and what they need. And yet healthcare providers do that all the time, right? We're digging into the foundation of who people are and what they need in their healing process and and where they're going and what their journey is. And yet we don't provide healthcare providers the same grace. Yeah. And that's exactly partly why this, why I started this podcast um, was to support providers um, and help them develop themselves, connect with themselves, and hopefully, you know, manage stress better. Because it is, it's kind of top down that way, right? It's we're layered and weighed down by task after task. Uh, but yet our real, like our real work is building people up <laughs> and, and, you know, but it, it just, it's, it's out of integrity for me when, whenever I think of that, because how can I build somebody up if I'm not doing that too for myself? And so, you know, and I think the biggest thing too, with like you mentioned at the beginning with play was that you, I want people to see that it's not something else they need to fit in to their everyday life. It's just being simply more self-aware and more mindful of those connections where like I had a moment of ease and joy um, and just like following that, right? (laughs) 100%. So uh, I never, I never want to be that training or certification where, you know, we, it's like, oh, we're going to add one more layer to the things that you already know. So uh, I always say that our training and my talks and that should really leave you feeling like, holy smokes, I am the most competent person ever. Like (laughs) I didn't even know I had these strengths and they were just here. I don't have to learn something new. Like I never want to come in and, and be like, you know, here's 10 more things that you have to know. I actually want to come in and be a part of like all the strengths that are already there and just ignite them enough that you can use them. Exactly. Because we're not utilizing them. Like if you think about the, you know, if you took a pie and you were like, oh, we're utilizing like a quarter of that when we could be using the whole pie, but we don't do that because we're risk adverse and we look at play and we're like, oh my goodness, that for sure is not going to be productive. Yeah. (laughs) That's so true, Brandy. Yeah. But actually, our best selves, our best healthcare selves, are totally wrapped up in the things that give us 
like joy that we have, many of us haven't thought about for a long time. Right. And that's what I was going to ask you too, is where, where do you think perfectionism starts to box out? And I maybe just not perfectionism alone, but anything fear, worry, that kind of stress um, management that's not constructive. Uh, where, what, at what point in our lives, because you, you know you have a background in kind of de- you know childhood development and uh, growth that way, at what point do we start to box out our play <laughs> and become hardened and oh. you know, dormant on all of it, right? Because I, I love how you phrase that. It's it's such unused potential play like it's unused it's it's already there and so I think another way of of saying to a healthcare provider is that they're already enough and they're already doing enough is really that they haven't even tapped in to (laughs) what you know what their potential really is um they have so much more and they are so much they have so much more and you know if I can say anything that you know, healthcare providers often don't give themselves enough credit and that they, you know, that idea that you are enough. And on top of that, you actually have all these gifts that you're not sharing. Mm -hmm. So you ask the question, when do we stop? Yeah. And I'm going to tell you a really sad thing. And that is that we're stopping earlier and earlier and earlier. Really? As we start to increase that kind of academic focus uh, for children, And we start to, we actually are starting to shut down that creative play potential sooner. So part of my drive is also on the childhood side Mm -hmm. to be like, we got to let go of hands and the back of the bikes. And some of those things, it's okay. Like kids Mm -hmm. need to fall down Mm -hmm. and we all fell down as kids. And the more that we can realize, if you think about the child that, you know, runs down the sidewalk and trips and falls and looks up. And we all know, right, if we look, then the reaction is 150 yeah. times worse. Yes. Um, right? yep. And so, um, but when kids, as kids, we learn to trust ourselves. We're like, ah, oh, I fell down and there's nobody around. And I brushed myself off and I got back up on the log or the rock or whatever I did. That actually is part of that resilience in our lives. So when when we learn to tap into that in our kids and we give them the space to do that, we actually need to give the same grace to ourselves as, as adults. So we stop doing that really young. And in fact, one of the things I'll tell you is that your description of your, you know, art experience, Mm -hmm. art shaming is like one of the first shaming things that we have as kids that often happens to us that shuts down that kind of like, creative, like, Oh, I can draw a hippopotamus. Right. Right. <laughs> but wow. so yeah, cause I was Renee, very young. Renee Brown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Renee Brown talks a lot about this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so actually if we, if we let go a little bit in what we allow kids to do to get lost and find their way back and those kinds of things, then we'll let them play longer into their lives. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of what I do too, is try to help kids and community organizations also help kids find their, kind of find their play for longer. Wow. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the culture of burnout in general and uh, the hustle culture and, you know, work hard, play hard culture um, that we're a part of globally. 
And it's almost as if, and I, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, when you say that it's, you know, getting younger and younger, that we're boxing it out. Is that because, like, because of our stress as adults, almost projecting that onto our children, potentially, um, or students or, yeah. Yeah, because what happens is in that kind of perfectionistic drive, right? we like things to happen in an order and structure. And unstructured play, like if you think about things that are unstructured, mm-hmm. uncoordinated, unknown, mysterious, we're getting less and less tolerance for that. Mm-hmm. So we like things to happen in a certain pattern. And so, yeah, that that is part of it. At Globally, we're becoming more constrictive in what we allow and our stress, our burnout those things that make our day easier are not things that are unstructured, unknown. Um, you know, I'm going to let him or her go to the you know corner store by themselves because I don't know what's going to happen. And in a world full of unknowns, we're like, oh, that's just one more thing I don't know. So if we're feeling an incredible amount of stress, we will keep things tight to ourselves, including our kids' ability to do things that we don't know what the outcome will be. Right. Yeah, I can see how the unknown can create fear and create anxiety and worry and things like that, for sure. But if we play with it more, (laughs) you know, if we engage in it more, even just a little more, you know, we would probably build that muscle up again, or that, um, that expansive mindset again. Um, Well, think about practice. Think about all the things that we practice to become healthcare providers or educators. Mm -hmm. Think about all the times that, you know, we had to practice the same skill over and over. And yet we don't practice the skill of being in play. And, and I think people are like, Oh, well, I can't just change my whole world around. But what if just for five minutes a day, just for five minutes a day, you were just more mindful of the things that made you take a deep breath Mm -hmm. or, the things that gave you a little bit of joy and you thought, I wonder if I can bring that into my work. Yeah. I was just going to ask you for like maybe a final piece of advice that you could give healthcare providers that they could do where they're at right now. Uh, So would you say it's being more mindful at work about things that kind of create that connection for them or uh, even in their personal life? As well, you know, you know what I, I think people often struggle to find it at work, and so they'll be like trying to be mindful of this thing in the middle of all the things that happen. <laughs> right, that's day, right? that's what I picture too. So, right, <laughs> so I, I always picture healthcare workers. And they're like, oh my goodness, and I've got to find five minutes to play too. Like, oh, like <laughs> exactly, I, I, don't, I can't even find yeah two minutes to pee. Never mind. <laughs> exactly, I, I won't be able to find that. Yeah, but so I think I actually think that if we take that mindfulness to outside work. So it's like, ha, actually outside work, this is what gives me some joy and some release. And I, I love doing this. So just fill in the blank. I love doing this. Mm -hmm. And then take whatever that is that's in that box and like creatively think about how can I put that back in my day? So if, you know, if it's just a mindful walk if it actually is you know if it's juggling if it's dance if it's whatever that is and can I find five minutes of that to put into my day and whether it's with my clients 
or telling a story to my clients or hearing their story and being like, oh, that was kind of my mindful play moment today. That was awesome. Right. So don't add it to your day, like on the task list. Yeah. Then you won't be in play. <laughs> right. It totally counter, um, it's counterproductive it's to it. <laughs> yeah. Love so that. yeah, find it on the outside and bring it in. Yeah. And I really think that that's when I, like, I recognized communication basically was my form of play when it came to my interactions with patients and with families. And, but it came from kind of my own personal experiences too, but not recognizing at the time that it was a channel to, to that. And I, and I feel like it's just continuing to expand, right. And, and, and trying to find avenues for that wherever I can and connections for that. Yeah. Super powerful. And it's a gift. It, right? Those it, are your gifts. Right. And that's how I, that's what I believe it is, is a gift to my, my profession and my, uh, my patients every single day. Yeah. We all have our gifts. Um, and yeah, I love that. Like your gift is your, your source of play as well. So tell me, how can people connect with you? How can they reach out to you and where can they follow you? Well, they can uh, reach out to me. Uh, my new book is out um, and my book is called Return to Play, Rebuilding Resilience, Risk and Reconnection. And uh, you can find me on the web at www.returntoplay2021.com. You can find me on Instagram at return to play. You can find me on Facebook at return to play and um, feel free to connect with me um, personally on LinkedIn. I'm also on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect to me on any of those pieces and feel free to uh, message me on any of those things. I, I often respond. So, and you have yeah. a podcast as well, right, Brandy? I do yeah. have a podcast as well. You know what's so funny? I, you know, you forget sometimes. You know, like, oh, and I, I, have know. I have a podcast too, and it's called Play for a Change. And yeah. it, it really, my podcast really uh, ignites the question about how play and mental health interact. So, yeah, it tells a little bit of my story and my background and, and hopefully ignites some people to play differently in their lives too. Awesome. Well, I thank you so much for being here and for coming out, for having this playful conversation. And I hope that it um, really connects with somebody and they kind of just are enlightened by it and carry it forward with them in their practice and in their personal lives. Absolutely. Thank you thank so you. much for having me. Thank you. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.